The following talk was given by Yukon Grody at Zen Mountain Monastery. Yukon is a senior monastic in the Mountains and Rivers Order and oversees the monastery's flower and vegetable garden. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Hello. Uh, my name is, uh, for those of you who have just joined us on Zoom and who are new to this uh, program, uh, my name is Yukon, and I am a senior monastic here and, and the gardener. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to uh, do this talk today and offer you words about uh, garden dharma. I'm in the garden all the time, so I thought it was uh, perfect uh, to offer you these words in August, the end, towards the end of the month, and I'm just filled with uh, the garden. It's so, it's so visceral in me right now. So, um, so I'll begin. Uh, there was a great astronomer not so long ago by the name of uh, Carl Sagan, and in talking of the universe, uh, said, uh, that we're made of star stuff. His statement sums up the fact that the carbon, the nitrogen, and oxygen in our bodies, as well as atoms, were created in previous generations of stars over 4.5 billion years ago. You know, it's unfathomable. How do you get that? How can you get that? You know, in your guts, maybe. The stardust finds its way into the plants in our garden, and from there into the nutrients we need for everything we do. Everything we think, every way we move, every way in which we grow. And every few years, the bulk of our bodies are newly creative. I remember Dadoshi used to talk about that. Every seven years or so, um, all of the cells in our bodies have been replaced. No, something like that. We are all made of the same stardust. We are never alone with our joy or our pain, deeply and forever interconnected. So this is a good segue um, into talking about some of the offerings that our garden has given me and that has inspired my practice and my relationship with the teachings. Um, I have been privileged to bear witness to them and have become intimate with the life and times of our little half-acre piece of paradise on this property. You know, in these times, I am deeply aware of the privilege that I have. And... Um, I work hard at not taking it for granted, but I often fail, I'm afraid. And I'm grateful for those, to those hands and hearts who have come before me to make this garden what it's become, you know. I've taken refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, and the garden. You know, I've been involved with the garden for maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 years, I can't remember now. I had always been a city person and had never really worked in a garden before. 
other than now and then with our previous gardeners. You know, Kai Jun, she was a great old monk here. Uh, Meiju, Daniel, and then became the, uh, the assistant monk to Leanne, who was here for a while. And you know, I liked it enough. I, I loved my hands in the soil and getting dirty. But uh, it took me time, really, uh, to get the connection to the garden with real practice and how the Dharma can unfold there for someone as a true gate. And, you know, you could say that, that anything in this world is a gate to practice. Um, little did I know that it would become an important gate for me, the garden. Uh, you know, the cook, I was a cook for, for a while, and that was a gate for sure. Very challenging. And bookkeeper was a very different kind of challenge altogether. Well, I have a very non-linear mind, so that was very particular. Um, wonderful, though, to see certain aspects of myself. But, you know, so much at the monastery is about how to open and see where we resist and how to work with it, you know. But for me, it was a garden that had been my joy in allowing the teaching to really unfold. So first... First, I had to begin to get over myself. That continues to be a work in progress, I will admit. And I imagine I will continue to be working on that for the rest of my days. <laughs> you know, seeing the ways in which I wanted to produce something, be seen as somebody, you know, to accomplish something or get something. Or, you know, all of the traps of being human and deluded. The constant arising of this idea of self. And in time, I began to feel the burden of holding that, the weight of that. It takes so much effort, and one cannot succeed. Expectations lead to disappointment, for sure. No doubt about it. For me, it's been about awareness and developing a relationship with beings that I had little understanding of. They were there to serve me and my community, and I needed to figure out how to manipulate them to do what I wanted them to do. That perspective was bound to fail. So slowly but surely, you know, I knew I had to develop a relationship, which meant I had to slow down. I had to stop. All these years of practice here, I knew I could do that. And just like the gift of Zazen, when things begin to slow, as Huxley said, the doors of perception open. There is no way to stand here and look at the world over there as if there were no connection. So the garden began to teach me about the nature of impermanence, the immediacy and fragility of life, what had been said to me over and over, and yet just as Shugen Roshi mentioned in his talk a few Sundays ago, you can hear something over and over again, but until you are ready to hear it, they're just words. So sometimes a slightly different perspective is offered, and what's been said a thousand times comes to light. 
in a much more connected way, in a much more visceral way. I found this from Stephen Booner, known as a, the Earth Poet and author. He said, Einstein culturally considered the most luminous of Western scientists, often talked about the necessity to keep the sense of wonder and curiosity about the world alive. The important thing is not stop, is to not stop questioning, he said. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. That remind me about, um, oh, Oh, the Dharma master, he said, you know, the compassion for compassion's sake. I'm, I'm losing his name now. But um, love for love's sake. It reminded me of that. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. Thomas Merton said that. Booner adds, he knew it was crucial to any understanding of the world and one of the most easily lost of our human capacities. He goes on to say, when the childlike self remains alive and present in the world, the feeling sense is more naturally accessible. So if this part of you is still alive, still allowed to come out and play, when you come across something that catches your attention, there is a natural tendency to turn and move towards it, to let it become the focus of your attention to immerse yourself in the novelty of it. It's fun to be with that thing. The famous Dogen quote that it's a sudden fall when the phenomenon in front of one's eyes offers no further passage is exactly what's being inferred to here. And I need to constantly nurture the sense of, you know, open, the feeling of open, next, open, next, Notice when I'm shutting down. Notice when I'm shutting down. Open. Next. And, you know, I kind of call it garden samadhi. You know, like I'm working in one bed, and then I finish that bed, and as soon as I turn and see something happening in the next bed, I begin to work with that, then turn, and something else is happening in the next bed, and I work with that. And then it's two hours later. And, I, and that absorption, I realized... I was so absorbed, and I didn't realize it. And it's such a freeing sensibility to really be where you are, 100%. There's magic in that mind that is so connected and grounding, you know. Such gifts can touch you anywhere, but a place like ours, it's so visceral and so immediate. If one is in despair over the conditions of things in this present world, if you were despairing, Thomas Burton, whose name I had just forgotten, had some very um, kind of hard-hitting words to say about that, actually. He said, despair is the absolute extreme of self-love. It is reached when a person deliberately turns their back on all help from anyone else in order to taste the rotten luxury of knowing themselves to be lost. I found that a very interesting kind of perspective and turning in that way, you know. So I say to them, 
One thing you can do is come play in the garden. <laughs> you know, it's a cure-all for that ailment, and there are many more, of course. So recently, recently I harvested um, the garlic. It was a couple of weeks ago. And um, I'm always amazed by the mystery of what's going on underground. Knowing you planted in November this little single clove that is turned into a big, beautiful bulb. And I hung this harvest up under the roof at the tool shed to cure it, you know. And I stepped back and thought it so beautiful. All bunched up and, and hanging where there is good air circulation and can dry. It was so beautiful. And then I thought, this is, this is ancient, this ritual. It's, it's coming through to the present day. It's so old. It kind of caught me, took my breath away, you know. So I investigated, and I found it's one of the earliest farmed crops in India and Egypt, more than 5,000 years ago. The Greeks loved it so much, they offered it as a gift to the gods. Has numerous medicinal properties and is used frequently in times of pandemics. Take your garlic. And in times of vampires, which is a very another reason to take it during this present administration <laughs> where there are a lot of vampires. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. A lot of people were kept out of the temples uh, when they ate it, of course, because of the strong odor, unless you're eating it with a lot of other people. But uh, according to the Shurangama Sutra, you know, they inflame passion and attract ghosts. So eating anything in the onion family is actually discouraged by some, including the Buddha. So here's a perfect example of worlds within worlds within worlds, all viewing this crop in different ways, you know. I am so grateful that we don't discourage eating garlic here. <laughs> I am so grateful. I am so happy about that. And, you know, the garden has given me a way to take the time to look and given me the gift to practice patience, you know. Without it, I'm just another kind of aggressive noodle head who wants what he wants when he wants it. You know, patience is cultivated just like growing anything. You know, things are constantly coming up that you are not expecting. How to endure without losing your shit, you know. And as we chant every morning to live in equanimity, so we're not so jerked around by our likes and dislikes, which are talked about in a thousand different ways in this practice. The tolerance to accept what has been given, to sense what the garden is teaching, an openness to let it actually come into me and develop that relationship, keep developing that relationship, to understand how it grows, at the same time, how I grow in tandem, you know? Connecting with the parts. To see how I can help when I see something is not right, and just like me, constantly being affected by the environment. It's not different. To communicate with these living beings, making them 
as important as I am to me and not cut myself off. So much is lost in those gaps, you know, in that separate, isolated loneliness. The haiku master Basho said, go to the pine if you want to learn about the pine. Or to the bamboo if you want to learn about the bamboo. And in doing so, you must leave your preoccupation with yourself. Otherwise, you impose yourself on the object and do not learn. To get closer and inside the object of my attention so I can meet what's there and we can share ourselves with each other. So for me to, to know the garden, just as in the zendo here I learned to give myself away, to get to the heart of things, to get out of myself. The garden is in constant flux, just like me, constantly transforming, becoming simplified, humbled by how swiftly it all comes into being and dies. It's not different. So first, what am I planting my seeds in? You know, we have a mountain of dense clay. We can grow good pots, right, Hoge? We can grow pots in that clay, but not much else. So that's what we've got. So we build on top with horseshit, our compost from the kitchen, and some dirt all mixed together. And I thought this was a good spot for a Sharon Olds poem called Ode to Dirt. Dear Dirt, I am sorry I slighted you. I thought that you were only the background for the leading characters, the plants and animals and human animals. It's as if I had loved only the stars and not the sky which gave the space in which to shine. Subtle, various, sensitive, you are the skin of our terrain. You are our democracy. When I understood I had never honored you as a living equal, I was ashamed of myself. As if I had not recognized a character who looked so different from me, but now I can see us all made of the same basic materials, cousins of the first exploding from nothing in our intricate, intricate equation together. So in this dirt grows the parslane and the lamb's quarters and the mugwort and the loose strife, what we call weeds and invasives. They are formidable and humbling and many have medicinal qualities. The Asopus tribe was the tribe of the Napi Indians, true ancestors of this area. And I, I'm ashamed I don't know more. Kaido, thank you for that offering yesterday. I, I plan on learning more about our ancestors here. They helped them with those who came after survive because they grow so abundantly when nothing else will. And the vitamins contained in these so-called weeds kept folks healthy enough to continue. I have developed a deep respect for these rascals of the garden. You have to watch what you grow, grow them next to or where they grow next to. Like us, they have a problem with greed and their roots can go deep and take over what's growing near them, you know. 
Until I've run out, we have a lower garden and an upper garden, for those who've never seen it. And in the lower garden, I kept one box just for weeds. I just let weeds grow there until I ran out of room this year. And so in doing that, I just wanted to acknowledge their contribution to this life. So there are a lot of areas in the garden where the weeds grow. So I leave them mostly. And often in some parts of the garden, they take over anyway. So we kind of at this point have an active truce, you know. In learning to be awake in a place, there is a middle way. And I've had to watch the naming of things you know, constantly learning to name and finding that middle way. The analyst, Eric Byrne, describes it in a, in a sweet way. I liked what he had to say about it. Um, he offers this. A little boy sees and hears birds with delight. Then the good father comes along and feels he should share the experience and his son's development. He says that it, that's a jay and this is a sparrow. The moment the little boy is concerned with which is a jay and which is a sparrow, he can no longer see the birds or hear them sing. He has to see and hear them the way the father wants him to. Father has good reasons on his side, since few people can go through life listening to birds sing. And the sooner the boy starts his education, the better. Few people, however, can still see and hear in the old way having the option of seeing and hearing directly and not getting it secondhand. Young children don't have a sign in place of the thing they see and hear in the old way. So to nurture flowers or food to grow, I mean, there's stuff you got to know and some names you got to know, but you, you just have to hold it lightly, you know, really remember that you're naming and there's distance, there are gaps. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about how he has, a, how we have to be careful about what we know. You know, it may be an obstacle to our happiness, he says. Acquiring knowledge is like climbing a ladder. In order to step up to a higher rung, we have to let go of the rung we are standing on. If we believe that the rung we are standing on is the highest, then we can climb no higher. Historically, the amateur, I found this, uh, that, that the amateur was considered to be the ideal balance between pure intent, an open mind, and a deep interest. We should all stay amateurs. You know, people call, call gardeners, if they've been in the garden for a while, master gardeners, I always thought it was kind of arrogant, a lot of nervy. You know, the plants do all the work. We just, you know, nurture them. We're there for them, but they do all the hard lifting, you know. Let's keep, we'll stay, stay an amateur. It means going beyond the linear mind. Going beyond the linear mind. These lines from a poet, uh, the poet uh, Manuel Machado. He says, It is good knowing that glasses are good to drink from. The bad thing is not to know what thirst is for. You know, that linear mind just pop. So with that in mind, I get to know what plants do in this particular environment. Just like when someone comes to this monastery, you know, or when they used to come, they'll come again. They will have to discern, is this a place for me at this time in my life? Is the discipline here what will serve me now? 
Is this a time where being challenged in this way will help me or not? Will I thrive here? So just like the plants, some love growing on the hillside, some love growing in the marsh. Figuring that out is important for every being's wellness. So late in February, you know, I start to plant seeds to germinate. And I make this deal with them, see. I will do everything in my ability to nurture, take care, and protect as best I can everything that I germinate. And you all, I have all the little packets lined up around me, and you all do what you do best. Grow strong. Get those roots deep to be able to survive all the trials and tribulations of being alive and to be able to withstand the mold and the naughty pests. And then give yourself away, as you do with grace every single year. Keep creating beauty that takes our breath away. Together we create this little parcel of paradise. Sometimes for me it's like a magic trick, you know. It's like... Now you see the beauty of the colors created by these gorgeous flowers. And now you see a soldier bug attacking the larva of a monarch butterfly. You know, seeing the beauty in the battles as one thing is a challenge for me. You know, and in seeing it all, I get closer. Just like our own particular karma, we have to learn to hold it all and in that way become more intimate with our own particular darkness and light. To live in a paradise like a garden, you've got to want to bust, bust your butt. It is so much more than it's my responsibility at the monastery. But I want to be, I want to be a part of the beauty. And be there when it, the beauty comes apart. You know, paradise, it comes from the Persian word paradaisa, or walled enclosure, or enclosed garden. There's a fun parable that is told that I would like to share with you. It's called Rosemarinus and Lavendula. I found it in Wendy Johnson's book on gardening. It's called Gardening at the Dragon's Gate. If you're a gardener, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely book. In these days, in the days when humans lived in balance, they were watched over and guided by the stars. And at a certain period, it was observed that people were beginning to over-rely on their reason and intellect. Therefore, two stars were ordered to descend to the earth to enlighten humankind. It so happened that those two stars arrived on earth at the very same moment that the archangel raised his sword and drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. And these two stars attempted to follow in the endeavor to fulfill their orders. But the archangel raised his sword again and said, none may follow these two where they must travel in the land of darkness. And the one star raised the medallion and said, I represent king of fishes and I am strength. And the other raised a medallion and said, I am the queen of crops, and I represent comfort. And when the archangel recognized these two siblings, he lowered his sword and permitted them to pass in the form of two herbs, 
rosemary for strength, and lavender for comfort. In this form, they traveled beside Adam and Eve throughout all the lands of darkness, showing them always, when they required it, the path led back to where they had come from, lavender and rosemary. You know, I've got some, a lavender, just one single lavender plant in the garden. And um, if you've never spent time with lavender, it's such a powerful, intoxicating presence. Very powerful. You just, when you're cooking with it, you just need very little, right? Just a very little of it. And, um, and they're uh, very, at the same time, very grounding. You know, it's like sitting in the zendo. It's hard work, not an easy path, if you want to come home to yourself. But is, what is more grounding than just sitting? I made sure there were some, some places in the garden where folks could get out of the sun for a bit of, for a nice sit, you know. A space in the bamboo grove that can give some respite from the midday heat. A bench under the apple trees. A bench in front of the Jizo garden and one on the hill near the greenhouse overlooking the monastery and garden. You know, the garden is such an active place. So you have to balance that energy with some places to just stop. Just stop. Remind yourself of right effort. Collect yourself. Gather your mind. Begin again if you're lost. It's easy to lose mindfulness, to forget where you are and what it is that you're doing. I enter that gate when I go walk into the garden and remind myself, this is not mine. I am not this. This is not me. To remember, to remember that the flower is made up of a bunch of stuff that's not the flower. Clouds, the dirt, the sun. Without that, there is no flower. This is the result of all of it. The Buddha's teaching, this is because that is. This is because that is. Is at our fingertips all the time. Everything is related to everything else, but one has to take time to look deeply into what's right in front of them. It's gotten under my skin. It's wondrous, all this sprouting and blooming and growing and regermination. The energy that comes from these relationships with the sun, the rain, that life force, inexhaustible. It's so fragile at the same time, you know. I feel sheltered by its presence. The joy and satisfaction of being touched by it and a part of it and being a part of it has become, you know, a gift that's essential to me. You know, I've been, uh, when I'm harvesting lately, I've, I've just been walking. You know, you just, it's, it's close. The, the garden is right down the, this little road across from the Jizo house. It's, uh, and I, I'll be carrying two buckets that I've harvested. And I'm just walking towards the kitchen and I want to cry. It's so old. It's so ancient, you know, and it's in me. 
so moving. And then I, you know, I, I bring it in to the cook who knows the garden, loves the garden, loves food, creates beautiful dishes with it, you know, gives it a chance to sing again on our tongues and on our bodies. You know, I, I fantasize about, <clears throat> about when I'm dying in that little hospice room that we're making across from the garden in the new Jizo house. <laughs> and I, I fantasize that I, I have the mind, you know, to put on my robes real quick and to kind of crawl out <laughs> to the garden <laughs> and just lay myself down and die in the garden. It's like, oh, God, that would be so great. You know, what a way to go, huh? And I really, I love that. And I'll end with a, a Rainer Maria Rilke poem. All will come again into its strength. The fields undivided, the waters undammed, the trees towering and the walls built low, and in the valleys people as strong and varied as the land. And no churches where God is imprisoned and lamented like a trapped and wounded animal. The houses welcoming all who knock, and a sense of boundless offering in all relations, and in you and me. No yearning for an afterlife, no looking beyond, no belittling of death, but only longing for what belongs to us and serving earth, lest we remain unused. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Zen Mountain Monastery is live streaming all Dharma talks and daily Zazen during the coronavirus quarantine? Visit our website to learn about all the online programs being offered at this time. Just go to zmm.org and click on the link at the very top of the page, or scroll down and click on Retreats.